Hey everyone, I know you've heard me speak about microdosing and how much I love it. And I'm talking about microdosing THC. I love it. And that's why I love our sponsor, microdose.com. Microdose gummies are incredible. They deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. And when I mean just the right amount of good, I mean in so many situations, anxiety, sleep, focus, pain, relaxation. There are so many different strains and they're really helpful. And I have recommended microdose.com to so many people. And you know what they say to me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't be afraid of microdosing. Go to microdose.com and you'll learn all about microdosing THC. These gummies feel amazing. They taste amazing. I have used them to get me into the zone I need to write. I've used them at night after a stressful day or a stressful show to relax. I have also said to family members, please take a gummy right now. And they've said, oh, good idea. So check it out. Check it out because they're fantastic. And I'm not like a big weed person. I mean, I used to be. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy weed every now and then, but I love, I love these gummies and I take them with me everywhere. So check it out. Don't be afraid. They're all natural. They're fantastic. And you deserve it. So what are you going to do? You're going to do something that is fantastic. You're going to get 30% off your first order. 30% off. That's a lot. Plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Use promo code Judy Gold, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D. It's available nationwide. They deliver it to your door. That is microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold for 30% off and free shipping. Do it. Go to microdose.com, promo code Judy Gold. You deserve it. You deserve it. And you know what else? You're welcome. Well, I don't see the point in waiting any longer. Let's bring her out. The star attraction, the one you came to see. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Ms. Judy Gold. Ladies and gentlemen, this woman who I am interviewing today has had such a profound impact on, well, on stand-up comedy as a whole, but for me, as a stand-up comedian, she has had such a profound impact on me. She is, I hate this word, but she's beyond unique. Her voice is like no other. I, I just, I don't even know what to say. You are such a hero and so brilliant. And I, I have been, I can't believe you're on my show. Like, I can't believe it. You, Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Paula Poundstone is here. Well, thank you so much. But but you were making this description. I was so excited as to who you were having on as you were describing it. And and a lot of listeners are going to be, well, fuck, it's just Paula Poundstone. Um, I just want to say that there is no one. The only thing bigger than Judy Gold is Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend. I'm going to use that as my intro now when I go on stage, the MC, and they say, what do you want me to say? I'm going to say, say she's bigger than Nicki Minaj's cousin's testicles. Yeah. It's the best what intro. A, what, a, what, a, what a world we live in. Uh, I know. For those why anybody would say anything so weird, uh, Judy was on Stephanie Miller's show yesterday, yes. which definitely. You listen to that show? I do. Yeah. I love her. Yeah, I do and, too. And you know, what? Paula. Well, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which, you know, I'm not I'm not a jealous person, but I've always wanted to be on that show because I fucking love that show. Uh, and you're you're perfect. I mean, you are. OK, I, I just can't believe I'm talking to you. So 
Wait, 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 don't tell me. It's very, very fun to do. I'm really lucky. I, I have no idea really why, why I'm on there. The others are much smarter than me. But, oh, that they, is so not true. Oh, that no, is, it is. No, it they, isn't. They were born into the world knowing more about current events than I. It's a disability of some sort that I might have. You can't be born knowing about current events. I think they are, though. You know, my son, uh, when he was growing up, when he was in the early part of growing up, he, I, I think he really longed to have some sort of learning disability to sort of justify his behavior. Right. Um, because he used to say, you know, he, he was a terrible student. And he used to say to me that he didn't test well. And I said, well, honey, that might well be true. But even if one does test well, you have to have read the material. <laughs> he was just like, no, I just don't test well. Like, apparently the idea of a test so put him off that right. he couldn't even but, oh. but at least he has that, you know, he, he can say something like that. Like, I, our generation, there was no learning disability. It was like, oh, that he's weird. Or she's weird. Yeah, or there, yeah. there, there's something wrong with that one. Yeah, we, ne we never had the words for this. You know, like I, ha I, we have a lot in common as far as mental health. But I also, because I have OCD, but I have ADD too. So it's a really good combination. But the thing is, is that I could never take a multiple choice test. Like I would read everything and retain it. But if there was one iota of truth. In B, even though C was the answer, I'd be like, well, B could also be the answer. And I would sit there on each problem for like 20 minutes. Like, no, actually, there's some truth in A and there's some truth in B. But why is C the answer? And like, I. Wow. You awful. You should have been a lawyer because those are the kinds of those are good. Right. No, I, I, one of my pastimes is listening to Supreme Court arguments. Right. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a fun thing. That's fun. It really is, because it's very, very rational. Right. It's, you know, uh, yeah, my kids hated it. I used to put them on in the kitchen, like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and they, well, they were. I know you want to ride your skateboard or yeah. play Monopoly, but let's listen to Roe v. Wade. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say, I would say. Okay, what do you want to hear? The Miranda case? Or <laughs> Virginia versus the loves. Which one? Which one? She got to choose the last time. I want to choose. I want to choose. You can get all of them in audio, even the... You know what? I'm going to tell you uh, a very important thing right now. You can get... There is a series that is edited and narrated called if it pleased the court. <gasps> and it's so great. It goes over the, in fact, Roe v. Wade, Miranda. Right. That's, that's how I know about the loves or the lovings. The lovings versus Virginia. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it goes over all these very important cases. Because sometimes when you go on to look at like what you could listen to more, con more contemporary, just like online, boy, I can't tell you know, it's a lot of like, you know, mineral rights. It, it, right, right, so, right, right. You know, it all seems so exciting when they talk about it on the news and then you go through what they actually do on a daily basis. Like, oh, right. Uh, who would want to cling to that? It's, but you know it, what's nice is that we have a really great Supreme Court now. They're hi. great. I'm kidding. Oh, oh yeah. my God. It's like, what is that? I could have gotten on the Supreme Court. Yeah. Amy, Amy Coney Barrett needs some, she needs a little, um, and I, I, I don't want to trivialize their work. Right. But she's got to get a voice coach. Uh, <laughs> she's got to get a brain coach. What about Thomas? Voice coach. Um, because right now all she says, you can't get an immersion. You just can't. <laughs> the baby's alive. From the time the penis enters the vagina, the baby's alive. 
I call her Amy Cunty Barrett because that's her oh. given name. That's her given name. That's beautiful. I don't know if she knows that that's. No, I don't think she does, but I did a lot of research. She's going under an assumed name. Now, Paula, you were born on December 29th, which, and my lover, Elisa, was born on December 31st. Uh, And my best friend, Bob Smith, who passed away, I'm sorry, you know, rest his soul, who was hilarious, he was born on December 24th. Now, I think there's something with having a birthday the last week of December, like that shapes you as a person. Huh. I don't know. I think a lot of women that were, you know, pregnant and near giving birth. Right. It was probably not a great time to be that pregnant. Yeah. I mean, I've never been pregnant before. I, I have three children, but I adopted. And, um, and by the way, with my son, I got a phone call saying there was a baby who needed somebody to take care of him. And uh, I had to go to a hospital and at first I had to sign some papers. Then I had to go to a hospital and pick them up. And uh, I just brought one of those, you know, the bucket things in the car that the the click and the thing. I I popped the kid in the bucket thing. Uh, He was, I think, two days old. And and then I swung by McDonald's and got a, a, a Big Mac. Brought him. There was no pushing. There was no yelling. That's great. Yeah, there was no. Um, I, there was no cleaning up. Right. I, am I, but, but so, uh, so I can't really speak to the experience of being pregnant, but I, no, uh, but I mean, just that your birthday, you know, being born that last week, like, like Elisa's birthday, my lover is that's the Jubel. That's anytime I mention anything Jewish. Yeah. So Elisa's, you know, her birthday's New Year's Eve. It's like shit birthday. Bob was the Christmas Eve. You know, that whole week, I am very attracted to people who were born that last week of December. Well, I think we were born to unhappy mothers. Yeah. (laughs) I think that you just, I just think it's a terrible time to be pregnant. You know, but I was the youngest. So my mother's trying to everybody else and, uh, you know, and do the Christmas thing. Right. And here I am, you know, Knocking on the old. You know, what's sucky about the Jews is that, you know, they go by the moon calendar. So you could be born on like a a day in September. And that day eventually will be Yom Kippur where everyone's fasting and miserable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, it moves. It moves every year. So you just don't. Yeah. I actually thought it was great that my birthday was uh, December 29th because it was in that really, now see, as a Jewish person, you wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, have had this same experience, which is that the depression that is caused by the letdown. Right. Because no ghosts came. My life hasn't changed. Uh, people, you're right. All the Santa, you didn't, right. yeah, the whole, yeah. So the depression that is caused by, by the, the, the letdown of Christmas. And then, and then what you have to look forward to is New Year's Eve, although who gives a shit about it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, that is a valley, that period of time. Right. And always was, I, I have something else to look forward to. So I felt like I had the, right. I had the tail. Um, so, I never. I got less because of or anything. I mean, not that I I had plenty looking back. I'm like, how could I have gotten less? I had plenty. Yeah. Food. You were born in Huntsville. You don't have a Southern accent because you moved when you were one month old. Well, you didn't move. The family did. It was my idea. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, even as an infant, I was like, really? Want to live here? Yeah. People have it. Keep in mind, Joyce Vance White wasn't there yet. Yeah, I love her. I love her too. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was going to be years before she arrived, and I knew that. And uh, (laughs) yeah, we used to vacation there. We would, you know, my my we would drive down there for a summer vacation because that's where my mother's relatives lived. Oh, that's where your mother was from. So you, yeah, but you moved for your father's job to Massachusetts. father got a job on the night that I was born. Wow. Which was he happier about? 
The job or the baby? Go. You know, I never asked him, but he was there. He was up there. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he wasn't. Uh, but that was in the time where the guy didn't even go in the room. I know. And and I don't know that the guy going in the room is. I don't know, because I haven't had that experience. Um, I mean, if I ever got pregnant, it's far too late now. But if I ever had, I might have just had a random guy come in the room. <laughs> You know, when I when uh, my ex gave birth to Henry, we got to the hospital and this was 96. And, you know, there weren't a lot of lezzy same sex parents at this time. And so we get to the hospital and we were used to we, we that was our first sort of who are you? How are you related? You know, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And um, this nurse. Alice, I don't know if I think I've told this story on the podcast. I don't know. She was the nurse. She was the, you know, whatchamacallit. Delivery? The delivery nurse. Yeah. Yeah. uh, We got there and it was like, you are and, you know, why are you here? And she came out and was like, oh, I saw you perform in Provincetown. I love you. And and she's like, I'm going to take care of you and make sure you're there for everything. And she put a wristband on me. And I remember it was so weird because uh, Sharon was having, you know, the C-section with the and hemorrhaging. And they were like, Ah. bring her in, bring her, you know. And the doctors looked at me like, wait, what? What's going on here? Um, It was so weird just, you know, having to say I I am supposed to be here, you know. And thank God I had that ally there who put that wristband on. And they handed me the baby, but it was like this confusion, you know, which yeah. is so that people don't understand. That's what we were. That's what we've been fighting for is like that kind of I should be able to be there. And so you don't need anyone there. You don't need a guy. It doesn't have to be a guy. It could be your best friend who might be a guy. I don't know. Well, I mean, I didn't have a delivery nurse. I just had that McDonald's employee you know, from when I got the Big Mac on the way home. As that long was, as you didn't give him a piece of the Big Mac. I I, did, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, I was a foster parent for a long time. Yeah, I know. Yep. And I had this baby at one point who was, um, you know, when they brought him to me, they told me, because I had said I wanted a just out of the shoot baby, you know. Right. Uh, and they said, oh, we have this baby. And they said, well, he's, He's three months old. And I said, too old, uh, too, too old. <laughs> and they said, oh, he needs somebody to take care of him. So I said, all right. If, okay. All right. So they bring me this baby, uh, you know, and all these social workers and signing yeah. a paper and that. And, uh, and he was giant. They come to the door. He's giant. He's the biggest baby I've ever seen in my life. He's bigger gi- than Nicki Minaj's cousin. Big, bigger than Nick, Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's testicles. I mean, he right. was big. And uh, so everybody's, you know, signing papers and talking about it and I'm asking questions in there. And I say to them at one point, I say to the nurse or there, whatever, I said, well, what does he eat? And she said, well, the other foster mother says anything and everything. And so that's a little weird for three months, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm no expert, but it didn't right. sound right. And she said, oh, no, big babies sometimes, you know, graduate to solid foods more quickly or what. Just sounded ridiculous. Well, then a paper flips over at some point, and it turns out he's 13 months. <laughs> that so, is hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, he's in my arms. It's not like I'm going to say right. no. To right, right, right. Stories, I, I mean, I that's so that. funny that you looked at him and thought, wait, this is really big for three months, but well, it's a the- possibility. You know, the funniest thing is that this nurse, this nurse was like selling me this bill of goods. I mean, I don't think anybody knew a little scary that they don't know his age. Right. But I think they knew his. I don't think anybody in that room at the time knew that he was not three months old. Right, although. right, right. How they didn't know. But the idea that she or maybe she did. I don't know. The idea that she was selling me this bill of goods about feeding a three month old. You don't sell the food. Like, I love that. I love I, that. Well, so what reminded me 
I forget what you said that reminded me of this. All right. So you know how you have, especially when you have kids and, and uh, one or two of my kids were in school at that point. Maybe just, maybe just my oldest was in school. Right. You have that schedule and you know exactly how long everything takes you to do, right? And of course things go wrong, but basically you have it timed out. You know, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. So I get this, uh, you know, so now I have this, this uh, additional child and, and I, I, so I'm going to get up earlier and clean him up, take care of him, have him ready so we can, you know, get the other kids up, get the stroller, right. blah, blah. And so, and my kids never ate. Um, and I was not the type of mom to say that, you know, finish your food. I right, right. Give them food if they want it, they'll eat it. If they don't, okay, next meal, they'll eat more, I guess. Um, but so they, they just were not big eaters. So this baby, uh, you know, where it's just me and him because the other kids are still asleep. I, I pop him in the high chair. I pour some Cheerios out on the tray in front of him. And he starts to eat them. But like really slowly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, fuck, I didn't schedule this in. Right. I <laughs> but it never occurred to me that he would eat it. Right. So now I'm like, I'm like, and I looked at him, I said, you know what? We don't do that here. We don't have time for that. <laughs> Get on the high chair. <laughs> My little eating baby. And he, that's, he also was a big, I mean, he was a yeah. big baby, big baby. There was a point to this, but I forget what it was. Okay, but I love that eating slowly. Uh, that is true. That that managing the time thing of like, okay, this is going to take the. It's like cooking, you know, like oh, I got to make this first, then I got to heat that up, and blah 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 blah. It's like a very, it's yeah, it's time management. I'm not good at. Hey everyone, did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the United States with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? And I'm one of them. You're listening to one of them. Fast Growing Trees has everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and your space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever, forever. I just want you to know that I just got off a plane and I walked in my apartment. What was the first thing I did is I came in and said hi to Avi, my fig tree. I'm telling you, and I have Yael, which is another plant, but Fast Growing Trees has changed my atmosphere here in my apartment. You don't need a lot of space, but they do have, you know, they have stuff for outdoor spaces. But I live in an apartment, and I'm telling you, Avi and Yael, yes, they're both Jewish names, Hebrew, the space looks so much better. And I just had a conversation with Avi. Like, I was like, I missed you. I love having living things here. It's very, very, I don't know, it's made this more of a home. It's the best. And Elisa has some too. And she loves them. And she talks to them too. But she got that from me. Anyway, check out Fast Growing Trees. You need to be around plant life. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code JUDYGOLD, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D, at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code JUDYGOLD at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code JUDYGOLD. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. You're welcome. So you're one of four. You're the youngest. You grew up in Sudbury, Mass. Now, you don't talk a lot about your family, which is fine. Jack and Vera, which are- I don't know. This is, oh my God, this is like Henry Louis Gates. Yes, yes. But it's, Vera is such a great name, isn't it? No one's named Vera anymore. You, you hate you it. Know, yeah, no, it's a terrible name. Uh, okay. You, I have an aunt, Stormy, by the way. And no I way. Yeah, yeah. And when I heard about, you know, Stormy Daniels, I was like, maybe, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> you know what I can't figure out about 
the the finding your roots, Henry Louis yeah. Gates, is I've never seen the whole show, but I've seen ads for it. You know, right. there's always somebody like uh, I don't know, like Samuel L. Jackson or yeah. somebody, and and they're sitting across the table from Henry Louis Gates, and Henry Louis Gates has made them like a a, a book. book, yeah. Uh, of their, you know, of their um, ancestry. And they always discover something that right. is, you know, so interesting and exciting. And and they like they push the chair back from the table and they put their hands on their face and they're just like, oh my God, oh my right. God. My, you know, my great, 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 great was, uh, uh, you know, a, you know, worked on the Underground Railroad. Right, oh. right. Uh, you know, hundreds of, of, you know, freed hundreds of, oh, oh, this is so be- I How come never, never have I seen one where Henry Louis Gates was just like, well, there wasn't, um, yeah, well, uh, you had some great grandparents that were some of the. <laughs> because they do the research before and then they only take people who have an interesting but it's all, and they're always related to like, you're related to Theodore Roosevelt. You know, like that's what they, and then yeah. they start crying. And then yeah. they go, oh my God. Yeah. And it becomes yeah. this I've whole. Always, I've always loved national parks. I knew there was something. <sighs> I knew there was something. I, you know, you know, I, I never liked uh, John Bolton's politics, but there was something about his yeah. face. I wonder if they ever had any, anyone who's like, you're related to Adolf Hitler. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is my point. There's got to be. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Lizzie Borden. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I read that you went to a residential high school. Yes, uh, uh, not for my whole high school. I was, it was, a sc- uh, it was the school for fucked up kids. Right, right, right. When I was uh, 17, it was the, I went there halfway through what was in real time my senior year, but in terms of credits, it uh, wasn't really my senior year. Because <laughs> I didn't have the credit. Uh, yeah, I went to school for fucked up kids. And uh, we all, you know, I lived in a house with 16 other fucked up kids. This was back during the the, the wave of, you know, encounter groups. Right. And, you know, we did a lot of things together. But and, you, but before that, were you just the the weird kid? Like, were you? I was pretty. Yeah. I mean, now I know that if. I was at school with you, we would have been friends. Like, I would have been like, oh my God, I would have been attracted to that. Oh my God, she's kind of like me. But that didn't happen then. It was like- I would have to, uh, to a halt, but we would have had a great time. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I used to go through the halls erasing any pencil graffiti. Wow, that's yeah. definite OCD, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just could, you know, and if I had had some sort of ink eradicator. Did you have any teacher growing up where you were like, that was like, Paula, you are special. You are so much smarter than everyone else. I mean, did, did was there anything like an RT, like anything? I don't think I ever had a teacher that was that stupid. But uh, <laughs> I did have, I had some wonderful teachers that were, that really did. You know, when I learned to drive, if you can say that I ever did. Um, but when I was getting my license, um, my parents wouldn't take me on like, you know, you had to you had to log a certain amount of hours. Right, right, right. Driving. And my parents wouldn't do that with me um, because apparently they valued their lives. Um, but I got, uh, I, I, there was an art teacher at my high school that used to take me on driving I, I was very connected to, uh, I mean, to this day, a couple of my best friends are my high school teachers. I wrote, That's so, that, I'm so glad because you have to bond with someone, even though you're the other, you know, you have to find someone, especially when you're growing up, to relate to or talk like something or someone, you know? I'm definitely the identified patient in my family. Like, what the fuck? You're out of your fucking mind. You know, I was like the crazy kid. 
But you do find solace in like one teacher. I remember my guidance counselor. I was like, Mr. Weinfeld, you know, who got, you got, a, yeah. you got a good guidance counselor. I had what a really he, good guidance counselor, Mr. Weinfeld. Did he make suggestions to you? This is my favorite. I would go up there. You know, I got teased incessantly. Like I couldn't walk down the hallway. I couldn't. It was wow. just constant Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Sasquatch. Right? Oh, wow. And it was all the time. And it was like at the worst moments. And so I would go up to his office and he was really great. And then the night before I was leaving for college and I was living at college, it was at Rutgers, even though it was like, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes from my parents' house. My mother was like, you go. It doesn't matter how uh, it doesn't matter how far away and how close you're living there. And it's a little uh, we're not going to do it. It's going to be far away, whatever. So. The night before I was leaving for college, I was in a panic state that if I'm living in a dorm, then I won't even be able to leave my room. Like, at least I could go home to my room, you know, and no one's yelling Bigfoot and Sasquatch. So this I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be there and it's just going to be constant. Like, I'm never going to escape it. And he came over to our house. And and said, no, it's going to be fine. And I mean, he was I mean, no one picked on me. Everyone was like, oh, you're great. You know, like, but it, it I was so and I didn't walk by a schoolyard till I was like 30 something. I couldn't walk you by. Know, my dog can't walk by a schoolyard without. Right. Ruling. Yeah, uh, probably the same thing. But yeah. So, you know, you remember those those people. And I'm so happy. But you had Bill Cosby, Lily Tomlin. And Gilda on your wall at the school, right? And you would cut them out of uh, magazine articles, right? All the other kids had like black, you know, like rock posters. And you would read Bob and Ray to your friends. You memorized George Carlin's album, so you knew at that time that 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 was your vocation or the way you thought or right is that did you know yeah I didn't but but at that time there weren't like comedy clubs everywhere right right like what the path would be to being able to do those things I had no idea so you're listening to this going wow you know and prior you love prior too but you were listening to these things going oh so what's the path to doing this yeah. Right. And you yeah. didn't know, which is so. I, know. I thought when I when I was living in Boston, I thought, well, maybe. Uh, like some, you know, there were street performers and I thought, well, maybe I could do that. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I never did, by the way. But you um, were you weren't fearful of doing that. Like you were like, I'm going to do this. No, I mean, I think I was, I, you know, I'm glad I never did that. But but. Right. Uh, um, I don't think it would have worked out so good. I also don't think that I understood that. I th- I think I know in Santa Monica they have to have a uh, you have to have a permit license. Yeah, per- yeah, yeah. Same yeah. in the subway. But like I didn't know that in Boston. Yeah. I thought just you know took off their hat and started right. doing whatever it was they did. The story about learning to drive with your father is so. I love that story because it's so what you do on stage. Which one? The one about don't go over that glass? Yes. Yeah. That was my, I did, my, my father did take me a couple of times on drivings, but not a lot. And we were driving and he says, uh, you know, he's sitting in the passenger seat and there's some glass up ahead. Honestly, I hadn't even seen the glass till he pointed it out. Right. He said, that glass up ahead, you know, don't go over that. and. I veer straight through the glass. Uh, it was, you know, broken glass on the on the on the on the road. And of course, he was like, "Why did you do that?" And it was because once my attention was drawn to it, everything in my body turned in that direction. And yeah, that is who I am. As a you know, if somebody says, "Don't," I always tell people, "Don't." I, I'm not a secret keeper. Don't tell me your secrets because right. I, you know, if you say to me. Don't tell anybody this. Then, you know, from that day forth, all I can do every is that thought is always in my head. And I'm always right. Like 
I'm going to tell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a vault. I can hold it in, but yeah, I totally get that. So you define comedy as doing the laundry and not folding the clothes. Did I say that? Your comedy. Your comedy as doing the laundry, getting it all done, and just not folding the clothes. I don't know if I said that. All right. Well, um, I, heard I do make yeah. a lot of laundry references. Mm-hmm. Partly because, and Henry Louis Gates will tell you this, yeah. my aunt and uncle owned a laundromat. Stormy? And, uh, no, no, but right. Storm, Stormy's aunt. My Aunt Irene and my Uncle Leslie, they owned a laundromat. And um, what was it called? uh, I don't recall. That's a good question. In Huntsville, my Aunt Irene chewed snuff and she always held it in the front, like between her um, between her gum and her lip in the front of her mouth. And there's uh, there may be nothing more repulsive. (laughs) Um, And. All the women in my mother's family uh, are, you know, of that generation of my mother's family, chewed snuff. And then they talked to you like that because they held it in their tongue. And so I had Aunt Irene who owned a laundromat. And they had a soldier machine. I think that's what part of what attracted me to that business. They had a soldier machine right in there. And you could just get yourself a soda anytime. Um, my Aunt Irene used to say to me, uh, my grandmother too. They would they they would say, "Come on, sit up here on my lap and give me some sugar." And, <laughs> oh my god, it was that's hilarious. You'd love them as a kid, but uh, that just you know. And then they said, "Don't kick my can over," because they had a can like a a, a, a chock full of nuts coffee can or Clabber Girl baking right. And, and, and it would have, you know, they would spit into it. And, uh, oh, my God. That, I don't get, that's the thing. And they spit it into, like, a cup. And it's, like, brown and gross. And then, um, oh, yeah. God, I can't. It's so gross. Yeah. And it's, then they I'm get like, cancer. You know, I'll tell you something. You know, all this talk of nuclear weapons and the button and and wars and, you know, nation build. Uh, let's say something. You take a plane load of that (laughs) enough spit and 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 fly it over any country. Doesn't matter. They will bow to our will. (laughs) That is hilarious. I I used to own a um, bearded dragon lizard, and his. Oh my god, me too. Oh, did you? Oh yeah, Yeah. I loved Daisy the dragon. Uh, who turned out to be a boy? It, the, the, their waist, their waist is really repulsive. Really, and, uh, and it, but I would say that uh, chewed and spit snuff um, supersedes on the scale of disgust. I love that. That's a great yeah. idea. I think yeah. it should work for the Defense Department. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. Your story of Becoming a stand-up is so, it's just, it makes me emotional because I remember watching you as a young stand-up, but I don't think comics today, I don't think a lot of younger comedy fans realize what happened. You, you know, it's 1979. You are going out, you're doing like open mics, right? You went to the uh, ding ho, like you, you were in Boston, right? Doing these shows with like these guys, because it was always guys who were huge Boston acts like Lenny Clark and, you know, and they're really, and I mean, I worked in Boston in the late 80s 
Oh, it was different but, by then. Yeah, it was so different. I mean, there were some women, but it was the boom. And it's like, I've heard you talk about how you started out and there wasn't, it, you know, disco was ending. Right. And then, you know, that that whole like Studio 54, all that shit uh, is ending. And now there's this new everything's turning into a comedy club, which was good for me because I started in the mid 80s. And at that point, I could get so much stage time. You know, yep. it wasn't like you had to bring people and you're working. You worked at Bickford's Pancake House. You worked at a bookstore and you're going out at night. Doing stand up in Bo- is it was mostly the Boston area, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, nobody in Boston invented invented stand up comedy, right? Uh, it's been around, I'm sure, since we came out of the caves. But there was certainly a period where um, there weren't many venues that that you know where audiences were no longer excited about right. stand up. There weren't many venues. You know, you might you you could see a stand up comic in, say, you know, in Las Vegas. Um, I don't know how long the improv had been going in New York at that point. Um, maybe New York, uh, uh, you know, uh, may, maybe maybe L.A. Um, but again, just a handful of places. So these two guys and I've never known. It's sort of like water travel on different continents um, before. People on different continents even knew that there were other continents or knew that there were people on other continents. They all came up with water travel at about the same time, which I, I'm just fascinated by that. Right. And in the same in the same way, uh, you know, somebody started having stand-up comedy at a at a place in Chicago. Uh, so they started having comedy in a stand-up comedy in place in Boston. Uh, you know, all uh, uh, Denver, like all these different cities, at about the same time, which is right, late seventies, early eighties. So these two guys uh, started a company called the Comedy Connection. Yes, I performed there. Yes, I remember. Yep. They didn't have a location in the beginning. They were like a traveling show. So what they did was, um, you know, they would go in and say, well, we'll do a show for you here, make some deal with the, 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 the club. And then they would do the same thing in outlying places. So we had, at the time, it was in the basement of the Charles Playhouse. Right. Uh, Warrenden in Boston was their main, you know, the, the main place that they had. And then they started uh, doing comedy at the Ding Ho in Cambridge and then uh, they had these other like one nighters. Um, one was in um, Providence, Rhode Island. I remember uh, just like a one nighter thing. Did you uh, ever perform at Kowloon's? Um, no. The Chinese that, place? That came later. Yeah. Uh, that came later. I mean, in the beginning, uh, you know, this and it was these two men, uh, Paul Barclay and Bill Downs. I don't even know where they got the comics that they started with because it was a chicken and egg thing. Like, where did that come from? Right. But Lenny Clark, who was was born and raised in Cambridge or certainly raised in Cambridge, he was a a man about town. Uh, He 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 grew up there. He he knew tons of people uh, um, there and he was very funny. Yes. the audiences that originally came out to see stand-up comedy came out to see Lenny Clark and they were right. large friends of his. Right. And obviously the audience expanded from there, but what happened is his sense of humor carried the day. Right. And so a lot of the other guys, I mean, I think a lot of people who started out in Boston, were they to have traveled to other places earlier on in their careers would have had a different style. Yeah, different voice. I totally agree. Yeah, but it was like, this is Boston comedy. This is how you do comedy in Boston. Exactly. That very misogynistic, um, loud. Uh, in your face. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Scream, yeah. A, lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of screaming at yeah. people. That was very, very popular because that was Lenny. And Lenny. Um, you say Cambridge and people think intellectual, but no, Lenny was the other oh, part of Cambridge. Very blue collar. Um, yeah. You know, 
one of my favorite guys in the world is Jimmy Tingle. Ah, I love him. He, he's just a great guy. And I, just, I booked him in P-Town a couple years ago. I love that guy. Yeah. So he's smart. Great. But, you know, he was Lenny, one of Lenny's friends. Right. And his first time on stage, uh, he came up, he was in the audience and he was drunk and he was shouting out things. And I, he, he sort of went up on stage, like from the audience, I think the first time. He, I mean, he was totally different than he right. is now. When you when you when you went up there and and you're like, oh, because I know what happens next. But if when you went up in Boston and you were like, wait, did you know like this is what it is? It's like. Just these big guys screaming and yelling. And did you know that that wasn't all stand up comedy? Because you as you say, you started at a point before every place decided to do stand up. Um, but were you aware of like, wait, this is not this. Did you think all clubs were like that? Like, you know, that's the way it is. If you go to this, a comedy club, but I figured out relatively early on, I started when I was 19. Me Uh, too. What? Oh yeah. It was a good year to start. Yeah. What I figured out relatively early on was a, there was a social hierarchy to getting booked. Right. And B, I was very low on that social hierarchy. And there were no other women. There was a couple of other women. Like but not- Laura, Lauren Dombrowski, I remember. Lauren yeah. Dombrowski. What do you about Lauren Dombrowski? Um, I, I, I worked at Bickford's Pancake House when I was like 16. By the right. time I was living in Boston, and that was the one in Natick, by the time I was living in Boston, I worked at a, a salad bar restaurant when like a salad bar was like- Remember really- when that- Oh my God. When salad bars came out, it was like the biggest thing. Yeah. And they, and they didn't have the snot thing over it well, in the beginning. Early on. Cause yeah. I, I bust tables there. So I did yeah. a lot of, you know, right. there was a special plexiglass cleaner right. that, I, and by the way, it made zero difference. Uh, it just made it really hard to reach the lettuce. Right. I was devoted to this restaurant. I worked, you know, seven days a week, usually just because I wanted to. Uh, my a lot of my social life was wrapped up in this restaurant. I just liked being there. Anyways, they hire a cashier, and this is before I had started doing stand up. They hire a cashier, and it's Lauren Dobrowski. Totally coincidental, right? And and Lauren was not doing stand up because there right. were that time there was no venue for stand up, right? I mean, that came into being months, months after that. But Lauren worked with a comedy troupe called the Honey Lounge. And the Honey Lounge was named after the venue that allowed them to do their comedy stuff in the venue. It was up near, it was on on Boylston near Mass Ave. And in that comedy troupe was her boyfriend, Dennis Leary, and their friend, Mario Kento. Oh my God. And I loved Lauren. I, I loved Lauren and I felt jealous of Lauren because right. she was very and at the restaurant, you know, the funny part was my domain. Right. And so here she comes along and everybody likes her. And right. so I, the little buzz and woody. The, you know, a little buzz and woody rivalry, I think. Right. Uh, maybe not from Lauren. I don't think she thought of me as her rival, but I right. did think mine at one point. But anyways, I, I also did really got a big kick out of her. I, I, I really did. I really did uh, love her. And, and so I, she'd invited me over to her apartment one night and they were rehearsing. And Mario Canton just blew me away. Right. He was so amazing. And yeah. so and I'm like, how does somebody even figure out how to do that? Right. Anyway, so. After I left, no, I must have still been there. I mean, I can still remember some of Lauren's stand-up. Right. Um, and uh, whatever. I mean, she got into stand-up comedy as well because it was, once it was started, it was more accessible than right. uh, easier to present right. than 
the comedy troupe stuff. But isn't that amazing? What a little hive, all from that, like a salad bar restaurant. Like that's how are, crazy. Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah, yeah. It anyway. doesn't happen like that anymore, which is sad. So you decide. Can't get a good salad. Without snotting it. Thank you so much for listening to part one of Kill Me Now with the one, the only, there will never be another like Paula Poundstone. What a fucking honor it was to interview her. Kill Me Now is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling. This podcast would not be possible without the help of Brittany Joe Sowards. Can you fucking believe I got to interview Paula Poundstone? I love her. She is an inspiration and I can't believe it. And part two is fucking amazing. So I know you can't wait for it, but she really, she's the real deal. So this is what you can do for me. You can subscribe and leave a review to the show. It helps more people find it. Five stars, not like my Uber rating, which is 4.47. Please, five stars only. You can buy my book. You can come see me because you can go to my website, judygold.com and say, oh, she's performing near me and I'm going to go see her because she's really fucking funny. Okay? That's what you got to do. You got to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D, because I'm Jewish. I'm a Jew. Yeah. And you can just get vaxxed and you can wear masks and you can take care of yourself and be nice to other people. There's just so much you can do right now. And also, I just want to thank you for listening to Kill Me Now and for listening to the end, because, you know, no one listens to this shit. No no one listens to the very end of the podcast. I mean, I do because I'm mental, but... I appreciate it a lot. So thank you all so much. I love all my fans. I love all Vax people. Not all Vax people. I'm sure I hate some of them. But um, yeah, that's it. I I, um, I wish you all well. And uh, as we always say, so long. Don't forget to tune in next week to Just Kill Me Now. Um, or, just kill me. Oh. Don't forget to turn uh, for part two on Just Kill Me no, it's not. It's just, just kill me. Now. No, no, Judy Gold's no, just, no, just kill me. Just kill me now. Just kill me now. <laughs>